I knew I would never be satisfied if I hung up, you know, the phone, pushed in my chair and drove home. If I hadn't done one of those things I committed to for the day, which is doing some research on something. And, to, and I didn't really focus in on whether it was account research on Monday or cold calls on Thursday. I knew by the end of the week, collectively, this is what had to be accomplished. And if it was Friday and I was halfway through, then I'm going to have to stay late for two more hours. Because I have to leave the end of the week going, I put in the work and I feel good about the business that I did. Welcome to another episode of the Elite Selling Podcast. We're your hosts, Griffin and Frankie. Today, we've got an awesome episode for you. We've got Charles Martelli, who is the Director of Worldwide Sales Enablement over at MongoDB. After a successful career of over 20 years, Charles has transitioned into enablement. So in this episode, we're going to have the opportunity to learn from a sales legend and learn about all the best practices on what he does to ensure success, not only for himself, but for his sellers. So in this episode, we're going to talk about the habits that you need to create, how to stick to those habits if times are tough, if you're not really feeling it or feeling motivated, what to do in order to reverse engineer your W-2 and hit over quota every single year. So this is going to be a great episode. There's a lot to learn. Be sure to take notes and let's dive into it. Charles, hey, welcome to the Elite Selling Podcast. Thanks for being here. Thanks for the invitation. Uh, I couldn't be more excited to join you guys. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to chat with you. We got connected to you over LinkedIn and you just shared so many valuable posts. So excited to dig into that. So today we're going to be talking about an elite selling, sorry, not an elite selling, an elite mindset and what that means to you and how it can apply to sellers no matter where they're at in their career. So tell us a little bit more about that and why this is a topic you want to dive into. Yeah, absolutely. Look, I... Uh... I've been a, a competitive athlete my entire life, and I parlayed that into a sales career. And through that career, I've taken these lessons I've learned through competitive athletics and translated those into sales to accelerate my career. And I just see so many parallels. I, I consider sales a sport. And I think to be really elite in sales, you need to have a mindset that's going to allow you to be resilient, gritty. Uh, growth-minded, um, be able to handle adversity, be adaptable. Um, and that, and that, that gives you a competitive advantage, in my mind, as a seller. And if you can build the habits around that, um, the hard work's going to pay off eventually, right? That's the thing about hard work. It might not pay off today, but eventually it will. And so I'm just really passionate about the way that we think about ourselves and approach the sport of selling that... Uh, I thought it would be a fun topic to talk about. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I know we have at least two athletes on this call, you know, Charles, I don't know about Frankie. He's on the fringe. Okay. You yeah, know, I'm, probably... I'm washed up over here. The yeah. cleats are hanging up in the corner. <laughs> I love it. Uh, well, Charles, yeah, I mean, you, you talked about building the right habits, having the right mindset, selling being a sport. I think, uh, you know, a lot of the best sellers that I've met and worked with were former athletes and they have that, that same mindset that they've applied into selling. Uh, yeah. Was this something that you immediately picked up right when you got into selling when you saw the two parallels or was this throughout your career you developed and, and really when did you get serious about not, yeah. not necessarily the mindset, but like 
seeing the, the transformation in your performance when you started taking that same mindset? Yeah, that's a great question. I think earlier in my career, when I came out of college, I went right into commission only sales, which is brilliant, right? You had a college, you have no money. Why would you, you know, why would you want to pay salary? So I went into commission only sales. Yeah, bills are, bills are low, you know? Yeah, fair. <laughs> Mom and dad's house. Um, but at that point in my career, like, I think I had the habits, but didn't recognize how I was applying them, right? I was just hustling as hard as I could. And as my career progressed, I realized that like hustle is just going to get me so far. I also need to think about like what's going into the hustle. Am I working smart, not just working hard? Am I surrounding myself with people that are going to help make me better at what I'm doing? Am I doing something every day that's going to make my business better? Not just running a hundred miles a day, an hour and, and, and going to bed and getting up the next morning. Um, and so I would say like, it took a little while into my career for me to recognize, wait, if I take this same approach that I took through collegiate athletics, carbon copy that into the profession of sales, I could probably pretty, be pretty good at this thing. And as soon as I, I did that, I sort of my trajectory definitely changed. Um, and about a year and a half ago, I transitioned out of sales for the first time in 20 years and I moved into sales coaching. And I think taking another step back and looking at things from a third, third party perspective, um, made me realize that like, these are things I can go teach other people to do. And those are the things that made me successful. So it took me a little while to get to that point. Um, but there's no doubt in my mind that it's a, a competitive advantage for me. And I think it could be for a lot of people. Yeah. I, I'd love to just take a quick step back and imagine what it, imagine yourself before you started creating that carbon copy from athletics to sales. Like, tell us a little bit about what life was like, like what were some of the symptoms that were coming up? How can some of our listeners like spot, Hey, maybe they're spinning their wheels or just hustle to hustle. Like give us, give us kind of a, a detailed uh, list of what it was like back then. Yeah. So I think I went into sales, not knowing what to do. I've never sold anything in my life. And they said, here's a phone book and here's a phone and there's a desk. Good luck. Make it happen. And I'm like, okay, well then I might as well just call as many people as I can and I'll drive by as many doors and collect as many business cards as I can. And I'll do as many quotes as I can with no plan. It was just running hard. Um, and so I think a lot of people probably enter sales doing the same thing, which is, man, if I just grind and just do these things they're telling me, then it's going to come true. Not necessarily, right? There needs to be a little bit of a plan of attack for that. And so for me going, it's not just about 500 phone calls. It's like 500 phone calls to the right people, right? It's not about producing 10 quotes a week. It's going, am I producing quotes for qualified opportunities that are giving me the opportunity to win? Um, without doing that, I was just wearing myself out, right? Um, I learned, certainly learned a lot of lessons and it was valuable for me to just grind and grind and grind. But once I started thinking a little bit more strategically about my business and having a plan and then having the habits support the plan, that's when things really started to change for me. But I think, you know, it's just a, a byproduct of experience being young and just hustling and then realizing, man, I'm, I'm burning the wick and I'm not getting the results. I need something else to change. Right? Yeah. You, 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 one thing that you just said really resonated with me, which was, am I calling the right people 
within the right accounts? Am I calling on qualified opportunities? And I think that's really where the mindset becomes action of saying, hey, I'm not going to just spray and pray. I, I think the first step, and we've learned this in our sales you know, career is research. Yeah. Right. Doing the research. And I think that when you have that mindset, I think maybe the, one of the first steps that you had was, okay, I'm not just going to spray and pray. I'm not just going to go and do activities for activity's sake. I'm not just going to hustle the hustle. I want this to be strategic. It's kind of taking that, that transition that a lot of sellers go through in their career from volume selling to strategic selling. Yeah. Right. And that first step is research. It's really going and, and being prepared in those conversations. So yeah. walk us through a little bit of your experience. Like what was the aha moment or what was sort of the light bulb moment in, in this elite mindset journey that really peaked and said, I might be onto something here that yeah. like really broke through in your career. Yeah. Um, when I joined a company called Spreadfast, they were a company in, in Colorado. I had sought out the best company I could work for in Colorado. The Denver Business Journal would produce a list every every year. They were at the top and I said, I'm going to work for that company. And so I PG'd my way into that company and got a job. Nice. And uh, it was probably a little bit above you know, the threshold that I, my skill set at the time. But I got there and there was no training program. Like, like, Again, here's your table. There's a couple of people you can go talk to. And I'm like, well, I better train myself on how to sell this product. And so I built myself a training program. Um, and then I realized, okay, well, if I'm going to be successful here, like I have to learn how to fit this product to the market, to the persona. And I just spent a lot of time researching those things. Let me learn my product, how it impacts the business and how it can help shape the career of the person I'm talking to that persona. Um, and I did that every day. Like we talked a little bit about, uh, offline about sort of the 1%, how do I do something every day? And I was maniacal about researching every day, whether it was a person, a problem, uh, uh, or the account, I got so ingrained in knowing the business and the people that I had total confidence. So I knew that when I picked up the phone or I wrote an email, or I had that first call, I can control that sale because I knew my product, the value it was going to add and how I was going to help the person I was talking to. And that's the kind of focus I started. And once I saw success with that, I became the top seller at that company a couple of years in a row. I think just because of that focus and the purpose and I'm going, okay, that's repeatable. Wherever I go, I will have a plan. I will have focus and I will do something every day that sharpens my blade. And then I combine that with hustle and it's a really good recipe, right? Cause I'm being smart. I'm working smart and I'm working hard. Yeah. I think that's a really hard recipe to beat. Yeah, absolutely. I'd love for you to walk through the actual, like, give us a day in the life or a week in the life of how do you make sure you're blocking those times out to do the homework, to do the person problem account research? Because I mean, even for me, and I know other listeners feel this, but you've got internal meetings, you've got forecast calls, you've got um, meetings with customers, you've got quotes to build, you got stuff to do. So how do you make sure that you're always building up yourself so you can go execute like you're talking about? Yeah. So, um, in MongoDB, we call, there's two things. One is the route to money. Like what are the, what are the things I have to produce to get to the outcome that I want? And you work backwards. 
So they're going to hand you your quota and they're going to hand you the compensation plan. You got to ask yourself, well, how much money do I want to make this year? Let me work backwards from that with all the inputs that I know are true in terms of deal size, deal velocity, pipeline. So that's sort of number one. And for me, what I used to do is say, I don't have a 12-month selling calendar. I have an 11-month selling calendar. Because if I'm at my number by the 11th month, then everything else is bonus. If I wait on a 12-month calendar, I'm putting myself at risk. So we will be back into what I need to do to make my money. Then I can take that and say, what do I have to do in 11 months to get there? So that's what I have to produce. Now I want to work backwards from my operating rhythm, going, what are the things I know are true every week and every quarter? There's always a QBR. There's always a closing week. There are always holidays. Take them off the calendar. I always have a team meeting. I always have a one-on-one and I always have a forecasting call. Take those off my calendar. What's the delta that I'm left with? Right? Okay, so now I have 30 hours a week left and I need to hold at least 66% of that time to my customer meetings. That's 20 hours. So I have 10 hours left. Now the personal choices come into play. How do I want to choose to use my time? Do I want to choose it going to work out, having lunch, doing whatever? And for me, I knew I would never be satisfied if I hung up you know, the phone, pushed in my chair and drove home. If I hadn't done one of those things I committed to for the day, which is doing some research on something. And, to, and I didn't really focus in on whether it was account research on Monday or cold calls on Thursday. I knew by the end of the week, collectively, this is what had to be accomplished. And if it was Friday and I was halfway through, then I'm going to have to stay late for two more hours. Because I have to leave the end of the week going, I put in the work and I feel good about the business that I did. I knew that if I showed up the next week, having not produced what I wanted to the previous week in terms of my inputs and my behaviors, then I was putting myself at risk of making my plan. Right? So for me, it was very much a work backwards methodology. I don't necessarily believe in saying block this time, this time, this time, this time to do these things because we know that customers come first. But I do tell myself, these are the behaviors and habits and goals you have for your inputs. You're going to get them done sometime during the week. You're not going home. That was my mentality. You nailed a, an awesome point uh, because I have been, and I'm, I hope I'm not the only person, but I have been so focused on, okay, I have to make calls at 11 and then it throws me off if something gets put there, but you've created a system where you've created flexibility where it's less about what hour you do it, more about just doing the activity. And I can tell you've never, ever thought about this before. I've never heard a breakdown like that, where it's 20 hours minus 10, you have 10 hours left. So I, I think just to call something out that you put beautifully, it's less about the time and more about the actions that you're putting into it. Yeah, it's, it's controlling the controllables, right? Those are the things that we can, we can do. And sometimes you're making those hard trade-offs. You know, for me, my family life is incredibly important. So I don't think about work-life balance. I think about work-life integration, which I learned from one of the AVPs here at MongoDB. Is like, how do I integrate my work and my life and they're both going to happen. And so I know when I go drop my daughter off at gymnastics from four to eight at night, okay, I've got a four hour block there. If I missed it in the morning because I was driving them to school, that's okay. Cause I can make it up over here. And so I don't want to defeat myself by saying you didn't get it done at 11. I want to reward myself saying you still got it done at some point. Nice job. Yeah. And you're building that behavior over time. So coming back to MongoDB route to money, 
yeah. Frankie and I have a similar document that we would always put together and we do is our path to cash. Yeah. And what it does, again, for the reps out there that might be listening that are coming into it's, you know, we're recording this on January 5th, uh, 2024. I'm heading into, I'm in the last month of my Q4. So January, February 1st is going to be new year. You're going to get yeah. your quota. If you're a rep getting your quota, the first thing you got to do, and, and Charles, you mentioned it is work backwards. Okay. If this is my quota, it doesn't even have to be, maybe you want to hit 200%. It's like, this is what I want to W2. This is my goal. In order to do that, I have to look at average sale price deal cycle and work your way backwards there and say, okay, then I need to close this many deals. And what that will do is very eye-opening because you will yeah. look at the accounts that maybe you were calling on and look at an account and go, even if these this account maxes out, they're not going to put me at anywhere close to this average sale price. So I'm not going to focus on that account. I'm going to go after a, 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 maybe a larger account or a smaller account that has a faster deal cycle potentially, sure. or I'm going to go work with partners that can help me multiply the number of deals I'm going to do. What it will do is get you to start thinking strategically about the inputs that you need to focus on. Absolutely. Love that. And so then going back to the inputs, you mentioned every day is like, what does a day, what does good look like in a day? I think that's what Frankie and I love to do is just like perfect day of a sales rep. It's you got research in there, what you can control research, hustle. What else would you add into that list, into that mix of things that a rep can control? Yeah. Um, it's a great question. I mean, I think the rep can control much more than they think they can control, right? What they have to understand is like, what are their priorities first? Like what is important? Why is that important? If they understand that they know what they can say yes and they can say no to, right? Um, because sometimes we're going to have to say no to the things that other people think are important. Hey, I just need you for this other internal meeting. Hey, I need your input on this thing. Hey, could you just join this one project we're working on? And if you're a rep who knows that my PG, my research, and my customer meetings are most important, then I have to be confident enough to say, you know what? I'd love to do that, but not now. Because I have this goal to get to this number, and me taking an hour away here makes that goal a risk. So it's a perfect day is designed by understanding what's important and what's not. So those yeah. things, if I'm a rep, it's not very complicated, right? I need to make sure that I'm doing outbound pipeline generation. It doesn't always have to be asking for a meeting. We call it no ask PG, right? I'm getting my brand out there and I'm sending my customers something that's valuable. I need to make sure that I understand the health of my pipeline. I think that's something we should know every day. You should be intimate details with your pipeline. I need to make sure that my forecast is up to date. Do I have risk? How am I going to mitigate that throughout the week? And then I have my customer calls. Those are going to come first. I got to serve my customer. After that, now I've got discretionary time to say, I can put a little bit more research in. I can prep that presentation for tomorrow. I could dry run that meeting with my manager. I can join a call with my peer to help them with their problem. But I got to get these things done again to know in my mind that I put in the work to get the outcome. Um, that discipline is hard. Right. I'm a big fan of Jocko. I don't know if you've yes. read his book, right? So discipline equals freedom. And it took me a while to really understand what that means. But what it means is if I do those core things that I know are important, then I earn the freedom to select the other things I want to do, which could be 
putting a little bit more time into my business. Maybe it's making 10 more dials. Maybe it's refining my command of the message, or maybe it's helping, you know, the organization with a special project. Mm-hmm. But I have to earn that freedom by making sure that I've been really disciplined on those habits that are going to move my business forward. So that to me is sort of how I think about a perfect day. Yeah. And I think what's what's challenging to people that have maybe never done this type of discipline is, okay, how is this going to give me the results? And what I would say to that person listening is, number one, go look at other people that have successfully done it, like yourself, Charles. Go look at people within your companies, go find the top reps, and they're going to have very similar qualities to discipline to the habits that you've been talking about here. And then number two, put it into action. Don't even commit to doing these disciplines for a year. Like, don't do that. Do it for a quarter, do it for 90 days, and then reevaluate where you're at versus where you were before. And I guarantee if you actually are doing the things that you're talking about, Charles, whoever's listening out there, you're going to have a vastly different results you'll probably want to do it again the next quarter and the next quarter. And before you know it, you're making a career out of it. So right. um, that's what would catch me up. I'm like, oh, I don't have time to, to do that. But once you just started chunking it down into the little bite-sized pieces, then you can see the results a lot quicker. Yeah. I would say you don't have time not to do it. Yeah. I think sales, has got, it, sales is a hard career. It's very competitive. It's getting harder. There are more tools, more data at our customers' fingertips. I heard the other day on Challenger Sale, when that book came out, there was something like four point something buyers involved in every sale. There's 15 people involved in sales today in a decision. 15. Yeah. Right? That's a 3x increase from when the book came out in about 2009, 2010, whenever that came out. Um, and so with a job that's just getting harder like that, we have to be so much better at you know honing our blade and sharpening our blade. That you got to make time to do it. And Frankie, one thing I would say is, yes, we want to evaluate our progress every 30, 60, 90 days, whatever you know, timeline we determine. We have to be careful of only measuring the lagging indicator. Mm-hmm. That lagging yeah. indicator could take time depending on what our sale looks like. Right. But what we want to take a look at is like, what are those leading indicators? And have they produced any additional leading indicators like my discovery meetings are leading indicators for my new business meetings. Are those trending in the right direction? If they are, then I know eventually my hard work will pay off and I'll get to that lagging indicator of my number eventually. Yep. Right. But it's not always immediate. And a lot of times we want immediate results. We just have to be a little bit patient. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I have a question, uh, a practical question. Sure. When it comes to if somebody's listening and they're like, oh, my manager just throws stuff on my calendar or I just get stuff thrown it into my calendar. How do you have a tough conversation with a leader or even an executive at your company? Like, let's role play something real quick. Like, what would that look like? How do you how do you do that? Yeah, it's it's so funny you asked that. I'm looking at my whiteboard because I had a conversation with the person on my team about something like this today. Um, like anytime you you use data or facts. I think it helps tell the story much more effectively than feeling, mm-hmm. right? And so I think it's totally justifiable to sit down with your manager and say, hey, remember when we made that route to money? Remember when we talked about my plan for the year? These were the things I was trying to accomplish. And this is where I'm at today. And when I evaluate my business, all these other ancillary things I'm being asked to do are putting me at risk and therefore putting you at risk of getting to our number. I need your support in helping keep my calendar disciplined. Can you help protect me from these things so I can go drive the, the production that we need? If that's not as important and you want me to do these other things, then tell me, but I'm pretty sure revenue is important. 
right? Love that. But, but coming with a story and coming with facts, I think is really, really important. And that just shows your dedication to your craft and how you're helping support their mission as well as your own, right? It's not only a selfish Frankie thing. It's my number helps you get to your number. So help me help you by keeping my calendar whole, right? Selling 101, baby. It's all making about them, not you. <laughs> Let me help you. That's it. I love it. So that, Charles, that's, you know, honestly, right. I think I think it's fair for anybody who's got priorities to say, you know what? I just need to say no to that one. Yeah. Um, another good thing is to say, hey, no, but let me find somebody else who I think can maybe help you as well. Um, I have somebody I'd recommend who maybe they're in a little bit of a different position and, and, and trying to help that person still get what they need is a really great tactic. You're, you're resonating with me again. Like I, I've always been a yes man. Like I always like, I'm a people pleaser where I want to say, yes, I want to help somebody out. Like if they throw something on my calendar, I don't want to be that guy that's, you know, I'll brush them off. But I think it is something powerful and just to say no, because once you start doing that, it can really help you free up time and, and focus on the things that the, the task at hand and really what's important. So appreciate you doubling down and thanks for asking that Frankie. So Taking a step back, you, you've given us some great recommendations for reps. Um, I think even some leaders would, would really resonate with some of these uh, recommendations. But you, Charles Martelli, Director of Worldwide Sales Enablement at MongoDB, you've talked a lot about getting 1% better every day. Like, What are you doing in your day-to-day -day that you're focused on right now and in, through 2024? What's something personal, professional for you that you're really focused on uh, getting better at? I am 100% focused on being a sales enablement professional. That's not my background. I've been a sales professional. And one of the reasons I took this job was to learn something new and be great at it. So I'm focused on free figuring out what are the tips, tricks, strategies, and tactics that the best in my industry do. Um, to get there, I've hired a coach. I work with a mentor. Uh, I get really vulnerable with the things that I'm not great at. I double down on the things that I'm really good at. Um, you know, they talk about like strength finders, right? How do you, how do you be aware of the things that you're weak at, but you really focus on being the things you're great at doing things you're great at. So that's what I'm focused on. Um, and whether that's me reading a publication, reading a book, uh, signing up for the sales enablement, uh, um, collective that's coming to Denver and doing a speaking engagement and pushing my, pushing my limits a little bit out of my comfort zone for stuff like that. Uh, again, spending my own money to hire somebody who's been in the industry and say, Hey, I need your expertise. And how do you help me get better? Those are things that I love to do. Um, cause this is a, this is a career that I want to be really, really good at. And it's not going to happen if I just, you know, just get the title, right. It's about yeah. making it work. That's awesome. I love that you hired a coach. I think that we've had a couple other people on guests on talk about treating sales as a profession versus just another job. And if you look at what professional athletes do or professional singers or professional musicians, they have coaches and they probably have more than one. So I love that you went and hired a coach. I want to ask another, another personal question, just cause I'm, per I'm interested myself. Tell us about the craziest, gnarliest ultra marathon that you've done and how you overcame it. Because I think it's really awesome that you do that because doing hard stuff outside of work, allows you to have that mentality that you're talking about. It doesn't need to be sports. It doesn't need to be, um, you know, anything that we've been talking about around athletics, but it could be learning a new skill, like you said, or signing up for a TEDx in your town. Yeah. But I'd love to hear about the, yeah. an ultra marathon story if you have one. Yeah, sure. Um, well, man, well, first of all, 
uh, if you ever saw me in person, you realize I'm not built for ultra marathons. I was a collegiate wrestler, right? So, uh, but moving to Colorado, I got into some of the endurance racing and uh, the first hundred mile run I did, I've got it on my wall there, was in 2016 was the Run Rabbit Run in Steamboat Springs. It was 103 miles. Uh, and I'd never run, you know, more than 50 miles before. And I said, well, uh, I'm, I'm going to be 40, year old, 40 years old soon. Let's give it a whirl. And man, let me tell you, you start out on that race and you go straight up the ski hill. It's like 2,000 feet of vert straight up. There's 20,000 vertical feet of climbing through the entire race. Most of it's above 9,000 feet. And you start in the middle of the day and it's sunny and it's 70 degrees. And by the middle of the night, the lakes are frozen over. It's 20 degrees. It's pitch black and you're hallucinating. I'm like, is that a bear? Like, what, what, what's happening out here, right? Because you're sleep deprived. You're hungry as heck. And then at the end of the race, they're really nice to you. And they let you run six miles downhill to the base. <laughs> and at that point, I remember getting to the last aid station and I looked terrible. And the, the medical guy goes, how many times did you throw up today? And I was like, is that a trick question? I don't think I threw up at all. So luckily I answered it right because he wanted to pull me from the race. I was like, there's no yeah. way you're pulling me from this race. Yeah. So then I took three steps downhill and I was like, I don't think I can make it down this hill. This hurts so bad uh, because you've been pounding your legs for 90, you know, 100 miles, whatever it is. So I took one step, three steps, five steps, you know, so on and so on. And for the last mile, mile and a half, I ran eight minute splits all the way to the finish line because you can hear the cheering and you can hear the music and you know that your family and your friends are waiting there for you. And it's so motivating that your body just kicks in, yeah. gives you that surge of adrenaline. And then you get through the finish line and a minute later I'm passed out on the ground because all that adrenaline just drains out of your body. Right. Yeah. And I've got these walking sticks hanging up in my office because my family would bring me a walking stick to get back to the car. Um, but you talked about doing hard things. Like I really believe in, in, uh, I do those things. I mean, they're fun. It sounds crazy that that's something like that would be fun. Uh, but I like to see my, I like my kids to see me do hard things and I like yeah. to push my limits and know like how far back can that go? And I want them to see the process I put into it and the outcome that I get from it. I think it's a really invaluable lesson for people to learn. Um, and hard things don't have to be a hundred miles for everybody. Hard things could be getting out the couch and running a mile. It could be, you know, whatever, whatever you want it to be. But for me, that's what I chose. So that's my, my first. <laughs> Dude, I ran 13 miles in a half marathon. I thought I was going to die. <laughs> yeah, man. It's a, it's a long way. I love that. That is insane. But yeah, I will say, I was like, I didn't prep for it at all. Uh, but I ran it. And at the very end, you, like you said, there's the crowd going and you just hit a, like a third gear you didn't know you had. I yeah. could not imagine after 99 miles, like hitting a third that's gear. Insane. I'd be like, oh my God, that's <laughs> insane. It's pretty but, wild. Uh, well, yeah. so Charles, we, we always like to ask our guests. Uh, if they have any recommendations, because the, you know, you, I imagine did not get to this mindset, this, this place yeah. in your career on your own, you've learned from others, you've, yeah. you know, been inspired by, uh, whether yeah. they're books, podcasts, people, I mean, would love for, uh, uh, you to give our listeners any recommendations that you have, um, yeah. or, you know, yeah, getting 1% sure. better at the guy. Um, from a book perspective, there are two books that I really love. Uh, one is Grit by Angela Duckworth. Fantastic book. Uh, grit is passion plus perseverance over a long period of time. 
Um, I love that definition. Uh, the growth mindset by Carol DeWick, I think is fantastic. Um, you know, getting out of the mindset of what we are born with is what we have for the rest of our lives. We can continue to push that. I, I think about that all the time. Um, and I'm not a very spiritual person. I don't go to church, but there is somebody who I love to follow. His name is Dr. Robert Schuler. He wrote a book called Tough Times Never Last, But Tough People Do. He wrote one called Move Ahead with Possibility Thinking. Um, and again, whether or not you have faith, you can remove that from the equation and just boil down the core message of that. And, I, and it's something that I, I mean, it's 40 years old, 50 years old, and I watch his YouTube videos on a weekly basis and, 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 uh, and really enjoy it. Um, he, he has a quote that says, the person I see is the person I'll be, which I, I really love. And I listen to podcasts. I like listening to stories of people who had faced adversity and have been successful. So How I Built This by Zig Ziglar, or by, um, uh, what's the gentleman's name? Is it Guy Ross? Guy Ross, thank you. It, yeah. It's amazing. Uh, it's just stories of people who have taken an idea and just figured out how to make it happen. I love it. Um, and then I mentioned just coaching, you know, don't be afraid to re reach out and hire somebody and admit that you need a little bit of help. I think it's, that's another thing I would advise people on. And lastly, my dad, my dad was uh, a tough guy, military guy, career salesperson, uh, but he's taught me a lot of lessons and he's got something that I, I love to share with people, which is somebody's got to be the best. Why not you? Oh, I love it. <laughs> something that I think about all the time. You know, that's a choice. Someone's got to do it and we can, we all have a choice to try and make it happen. Right. So uh, that resource is people that are close to you, friends, family, mentors, um, surround yourself with the right people. And you might find somebody who can, who can motivate you in the right way, right, right in your backyard. Right. So good. Well, this has been an awesome episode. Griff, I, while we were talking, I signed us up for the run rabbit run in a year. So oh, get ready. Oh man. All right, Charles. So we end these things uh, the same way, but we would love to hear how you define an elite seller. It's a great question. I feel like there's probably a hundred definitions, right? But when I we opened this podcast. I talked about some of the qualities that uh, I think go into an elite mindset. So for me, an elite seller is somebody that has a growth mindset. I used to recruit for that. I still recruit for that in my current, my current role, right? Somebody who really wants to, I don't care if they're 20 years old or 60 years old, they always feel like they can get better. Somebody who has that grit, that passion for what they're doing and that they can persevere through hard things, I think is really important. Um, elite sellers are coachable, which also means they're vulnerable to say, man, I just need some help, right? If we can let our guard down and ask for help, man, we can really improve ourselves. Um, and then I think just being adaptable. Our sales is moving so fast. There's new technology, there's new methodologies, there's new things. Uh, if we're fixed in our ways, I think we will, things will pass us by. Elite sellers know how to adapt to their environment and uh and make the best of what they've got so there's more but i think those are some of the core things that i typically look for from a qualitative perspective if you will um and then you can get into like the core competencies you got to be a closer you got a pg you gotta do all those things but like i think if you have those other those other sort of qualitative things um and the person has the habits that they need like that's a great recipe well charles this has been an 
like Frankie mentioned, an awesome episode. I think we we can both feel the passion that you have for sales, yeah. getting better, getting 1% better every day, your personal, professional life. Uh, I know our listeners are going to have some great takeaways from this episode. So again, yeah. thank you for coming on, Frankie. And I thank really you. appreciate it. And it's been a great Charles. conversation. Thank you both. I enjoyed it. great episode. This was such a great conversation. Frankie and I appreciate you taking time out of your day to meet with us. When I think about the theme of this episode for sellers, for athletes, for everyone out there, it's control what you can control. And I think in the day to day, the week to week of a sales rep, Charles gave us some great highlights of what a rep can control in their day to day. If you can control and do these things day in and day out, you're going to be in the 1% of the top sales reps, leaders, et cetera, in your company, right? So number one, account research. Number two, prioritizing pipeline generating activities. Charles mentioned outbound value. Like that was his theme was outbound value. Are you providing value, reaching out to prospects and your customers? Pipeline progression and health. Number four, customer meetings. Obviously those come first. And then number five, preparation. So those five key things, if you're doing that day in and day out, you are going to separate yourselves in the long run versus other sellers out there. Charles also, we didn't want to, we didn't mention it in the episode, but Charles is the CEO and founder of Salesletics. He's combining his passion for sales, his passion for athletics. For those of you who don't know, Charles was a stud wrestler at the University of Michigan, all Big Ten, go Wolverines. And if you're interested in learning more about that, check out Salesletics, Charles's company. So again, Charles, thank you for jumping on today's episode. Frankie and I appreciate it. We'll talk to you soon.